success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible Podcast. Guess what? We are about to do it again. We are rolling it out and we are changing it today to He's Invincible Yes, we are. And I'm actually thinking about a He's Invincible podcast. So stay tuned. Anyway, I'm so excited to introduce you to this invincible one today. Born the 10th of 13 children to Gloria and Charles Brackett in small town, New England, Matthew left home at 18 on an adventure of service in formal ministry as a Catholic priest for 30 years that led him to Italy, Ireland, England, Colombia, Chile, and Mexico, along with a few years of active duty as a chaplain in the U.S. Navy, having postgraduate degrees in spiritual theology, human development and vocation, marriage, and the psychology of leadership, along with being an ICF professional certified coach, he has launched Bracket Alliance to continue to serve as a coach, consultant, and educator around the beautiful complexities of the human element in relationship, leadership, followership, and diversity. Oh my gosh, you guys, prepare your hearts. You are not ready for this conversation. Matthew, welcome, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. I am so excited to have you here today and to just dive into this conversation. Thank you, Kimmy. It is great to be here. That was quite the mouth, mouthful you had there with my little bio, all those, all those words. I love but, those uh, bios. <laughs> <laughs> They're my favorite because this is the view from where you are that we get to share with all of our listeners. But I could give my own bio at this point. So let me just say that I have so enjoyed meeting you. I have loved every minute of the conversations that we've had and really been enlightened myself in so many ways with everything you've done, all the wisdom and experiences that you shared, and so much that you have to give to the world. Like, I wouldn't want to learn from anybody else about some of these topics just because of where you were positioned, you know, your responsibilities, the, the, all the things uh, that you've experienced that I feel like you are the one that should be teaching this. So I am excited to jump in. Let's do this. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? <laughs> Thank you, Cammy. The um, so it goes back as you mentioned, 18. I come from a large family, that's a whole we could probably have a whole nother podcast about that. 
yes. being the 10th of 13 children. Two of my siblings are adopted. And that really reflects on just the beauty of my parents, their hearts, their generosity. And also just having so many kids, there was like, there's always room for more. And not only that, growing up, we always had other people who were going through unfortunate experiences living in the house. So it's like there was always room for more people. And that was the hearts of my parents were very big, open. They're both deceased now by them. They, they really set all of us up to, to look for ways to serve and to love bigger and love better. And, and so from, a, from an early age, that was sort of ingrained into us. It was, well, so I grew up in a very Catholic family and traditionals you know, set up around what people usually think about, you know, Catholic, you know, they, they mentioned Catholic guilt, Catholic, whatever, but there was a lot of beauty around this, right. Around that upbringing and the education, right. Having being nuns, being with nuns and, and brothers. I have two brothers that, that later joined the monastery you know, and they dedicate their life to, to, to being monks as well. I have an older brother who's a priest. So we sort of grew up in that environment. So it was sort of, we were exposed to this. My parents made sure that we were exposed to all options. Um, and so my, my personal story is really when I, I did some volunteer work after I graduated from high school, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, I had sort of a restless heart. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. And, and so I went to did some volunteer time and that led me then to say, well, I'm going to join the seminary. I'm going to become, I'm going to join this religious organization, which I was a part of. And I'm going to be a priest. And it was, as I look back, it was sort of this decision that was, it had a lot of weight because of the seriousness. I remember in my diary when I wrote, I said, this is the beginning of a journey and this is going to be hard. Right. And there was this, there was this weight of duty and responsibility because that's the way I was sort of, I grew up where it's all about duty, responsibility, and also about doing what is most heroic and sacrificial. And so that looked heroic and sacrificial to me. So I said, that, that must be the right path. And so that's what I did. At 18, as we look back now, 18, you know, we could, it's holy smokes, that's a young age to make such a, a life-changing decision. But it's not like you go into it and it's forever. You have time, you have time to check out if, you, if it's not for you, right? But I really went, I, I went in and I didn't look back. I said, I'm gonna do this, right? I really felt, um, I can't say that I really felt the call. I just felt that I, this, that was something that I had to do. I said it came really from a place of duty and obligation and not necessarily like, I want to do this, right? There was a lot of fear and trembling around it. So, but I said, uh, but since I said, yes, I'm going to do this, I never looked back until a long time later on. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. And yeah. so I began that adventure, as you read in my bio, that began this adventure of education, of training. And you know, I know meditation is a big thing nowadays, but when you think of our seminary training, we, we spent, you know, for 25 years, I did an hour of silent personal meditation every morning because that was part of our structure, right? And then we, did, we ended the day with, our, with also with meditation, with night prayer and all that. So there was, again, joining the seminary, it's like joining boot camp, but for us, it was a two-year two-year spiritual boot camp, which was very intense physically, emotionally, spiritually, a lot of education, but also a lot of silence. We live most of our day, on, day in silence. It was about, you know, just linking it to the military. You kind of, what they say, you were going to get the civilian and make you into a Marine or to a sailor or to a soldier. And this was about leaving behind an old life and becoming and becoming a new man, a new woman, right? In this, in this, new, in this new stage. And so that's what that was about and learning about in the religious sphere, learning about God, learning about uh, the personal relationship with, 
with the transcendent and with the the higher power, what we call God and Jesus and all that. And it's that was the beginning. Of it. So it brought me through training, and then we have classical humanity studies, and then we have philosophy. Um, you know, we get a bachelor's in philosophy, we get training in classical humanities, and all that's because it's just so important to put that that foundation for how for what we're going to do later on. And then there's um then there's three years of sort of internship and practice, you know, working in ministry, even though you're not a priest, you're, you work and that's it's to help you discern if this is really what you want to do, what you're called to, and to continue to develop um, skills. And then, then theology. And so my philosophy and theology was studied in Rome. And then as we go down our story, there's later on, on times when I was assigned back to, to live in Rome for a period of years, which is also, it's a, it's, that's a whole fascinating experience in and of itself. And so that's really, and then in 2002, I was ordained the priest uh, in Rome uh, on Christmas Eve, which, which for us was very meaningful, you know, from a Christian perspective, the birth of Jesus and, and a priest is considered, and you could, we could discuss that, you know, but a priest is considered someone who, who functions in the person of Christ. And so it's, so there's a lot of symbolism around that. So being ordained a priest on Christmas and and then that's really when I, that's when it really begins, right? <laughs> when, <laughs> when, so that was 10 years of preparation and study and, and spirituality and growth. And then you, then you step into then what is what we would call formal ministry. And I stayed on in Rome for a few years. And then I was assigned to my first assignment outside of Rome, which was in Colombia, South America, as a director of a seminary and some other as a, as a national director as well for the work that our organization did down there. And that's a whole another story. And then led me to Ireland. I was in Dublin, Ireland for five years. And, and that's when, then that's when sort of uh, some waters begin to get a little bit rough and in, in, inside of me, They're just living with some internal conflict, things like that. And there's a few things that we'll probably come back to, but I, I, I reached a very, I sort of burnout. I was really burning the candle at both ends. Not a lot of self-care, right? Self-care in my mind was, <laughs> was selfish <laughs> right and um so i had to grow a lot years following that I, I understood a lot more what self-care is all about um and so there was burnout and then um, there was it was my my first i had some challenges with we I, we make vows of of chastity you know celibacy poverty and obedience and i was over these i was struggling partly with with I mean, this it's sort of like this i this very high ideal, but and so it creates this very big tension, right? And uh, they say that you know frustration, discouragement is the distance between the ideal and the real. And so I lived for years in this sort of constant frustration and discouragement that I'm not who I'm meant to be, who I'm supposed to be, right? Maybe who I want to be as a priest, and it just led to a lot of anger with myself right and you, people could bring that back to that it's catholic guilt or whatever but it, i think it's all we all put pressures on ourselves oh yes to be this to be whatever right you, know, you i know your your audience is women right yeah so mostly this, all this this pressure to be this type of woman and this type of mother and this type of wife so many so many pressures and then to have this type of body and to be this type of beautiful and all that, right so anyway there was this in the spiritual realm of of, of the church right there's this pressure to be 
well, to be another Christ. And that's kind of a high ideal, right? <laughs> for human. Yeah. Right. For human. Yes. <laughs> so I live, and so I think in my burning out and working, you know, just working too hard because I was overtasked really. Um, and I did everything with great passion. I, again, have great memories and great connections with people and people have great memories of those years, but inside of me, there's a darkness began to set in, right. And, and anger with myself and, and I also had my really my first experience at this age of um, of pornography of turning, you know, when when we're going through hard times, when we're sitting in pain, and I'll talk about this a little bit more. But when we're sitting in pain, we we want to self medicate. We turn to something that might soothe the soul, whether it be some sort of substance, whether it be food, whether it be a digital substance, whether it be an activity, something that yeah. um, will take we, we as an escape. Right. And there's healthy, healthy ways to do that, but there's unhealthy. And so I would consider pornography um, and the, as an, as a, an unhealthy expression because of the, well, I don't know, I can, I'm going to, let me go on a tangent here real quick about this because I, sexuality is so important. And I think it wasn't really always dealt with properly in our own training and formation. And even in a lot of families, when you're and when they rate when we're raised, it's not it's necessarily something that's talked about a lot. And I think it's just so important to talk about it because when we don't talk about something, when we keep it under wraps or whatever it is around it, it's it might end up um, expressing itself in unhealthy ways, right? And so for me, it was, I my and it wasn't even something that I looked for; it's just something I happened upon. But it sort of sent. I, I kind of explain it as this hook that got itself into my soul and to my spirit and wouldn't let go because there's a fascination about sexuality and about the beauty of the human body. Right. And, um, and they actually say that scientists say that when who have studied addiction, all this, that the pornography has, it's uh, what it does to the brain. It has a more powerful addictive element than cocaine. Wow. I've never heard that. And I believe it, but I've never heard it. But the strange thing is that it, it's, it's a mixture of a lot of things because it's a mixture of the beauty of sexuality, which is beautiful. There's a mixture you know, with the beauty of the, so there's a lot of goodness around it, but it's, it's the way it's, it's expressed and how it plays out. Right. And the why, and then because sexuality is deep, sexuality is powerful. And as you see, it's, it's so deep, pleasurable and fun, but also sacred. It's so powerful that it can bring about a human life but it's also so powerful that it can also bring about the tragic damage of a human person when used improperly. So I just think in society, there's a lot of contradiction around this because we, you know, we were teaching our kids probably too much, too little or, or whatever, or in the wrong forms, right? Or if we give sexual education to the schools, there's a lot of debate around that, but it's just, but we were kind of telling people to go experiment, to go play, to go have fun. Um, but also don't get hurt. Right. Yeah. And, and we're not, but we're not necessarily telling them about the sacredness and the beauty of sexuality. Right. And, and of that function. And, and as women that we're talking to here, women know the beauty of empower, powerful connection through sexuality. And I think, you know, and in sexual intercourse, it's, it's, it's for a woman, it's such an intimate experience and an experience of vulnerability. Uh, for a man, it can be some, somewhat more genital. Yeah. Right. It's all sure. this dynamic before. And so, and, and this is it's so important for women. They, I know they know this through their experience and this is something they bring to the relationship and something that it's so important to, that they also bring to their children to teach that because it's, it's a beautiful thing, but there's so much hurt around it. 
because we it can be used improperly. And then in the in the even just in the in the world of pornography, it's there's as we know, there's sadly there's just it's there's so much abuse, right? Yeah. I'm not saying whether it's wrong or right, because there's, there's you know, some people use pornography for different things, right? Even sure. in their own relationships. Um in the end, it's really about the beauty of the human person, but the beauty of the human person that's used in a twisted way, right? Yeah, and, for sure. But anyways, th- this this was my own personal experience. I began to turn to it, and I sort of got hooked on. And it leads to because sexuality is 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 about giving, it's about self giving, it's about self giving to another. And what sort of, in my experience, what pornography, it sort of it turns you inwards on yourself, mm. right? And in an unreal world, right? and it sort of turns you inward. And and I think you know, and through just compulsive masturbation and things, it's just, it's this whole experience of, of feeling um, yucky and dirty. And this is really more, more than just being feeling dirty. I'm turning in on myself and that's not what my sexuality is all about. Now I think there's a whole, there's a pleasurable and fun element about it. Right. And that's something that if we want to talk about God, that that's, it's part of it. It was made to be like that. Right. Right. So I, we want to take away all the shame that's around it, but but in my experience, again, it, it just it turned me inwards, and that brought a lot of, about a lot of darkness and guilt. And also, I, I suppose what what it really brought about was I'm not being, I'm not living up to my commitments that I made, right? To live a pure celibate and, and chase life, right? And and that so so that just led, and that that continued for for time. It's very it's very hard hard thing to shake, like any addiction. Sure. Right. And it's uh, like an addiction. You can't do it on your own. But that led to then then I was able to um, I went back to Colombia for a little bit on another assignment that I got assigned to Chile for two years. And in Chile, I did a lot of work with with couples and with adults, with men and women. It's more about in their spiritual journey. Right. To, to, as a accompaniment. Um, and then I got sent back to Rome to work as a director of, of, a, of an institution for, for priests, priests that were doing postgraduate and doctoral studies. And so there's a lot of, but again, during all these years, I was carrying a lot of internal weight around me and I tried to, you can only do that for so long as a human being. And so what I get passionate about is dealing with the truth of our humanity, right? And I'm, and I think as a priest and just as me, as Matthew, I shut off a lot of aspects about myself because I, you have to put on this facade to be the priest, to be whatever people are expecting of what a priest should be, right? And that I have an open heart and the smiles and all that. Um, but on the inside, there was a lot of anger and I felt like I was dying on the inside. And it's, it's a very hard show to put on for a long time. And that I can't war, imagine. I can't yeah. even imagine. So that war on me, and then there's a few other experiences that I'll bring up as later on in our conversation, but that, that war on me brought me to the point where I can, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I can do this, right? I need, and I need a safe place where I can explore what I'm going through because this is something that had been building up for like 10 years. And so I, I went, I checked into inpatient care for a few months um, it's an inpatient care that, that's for people in ministry. So it was very, they, where they understood my reality and where I was coming from. And really where I could, with the help of professionals and just have that space where I could explore honestly where I was in life, how I got there, what was working, what wasn't. And um, if I needed to make a shift in lifestyle or if I could step back into ministry. And that was very, so that's four months of intense, you know, just sort of a lot of personal work. 
um, which is hard, very challenging. Again, and I see it also as sort of a privilege and a luxury to be able to do that. Not everyone can step away from their lives and do that. Um, I, was, I, I was very fortunate to be able to have that experience. And I'm very thankful because it gave me so many tools to, um, for my own personal life, but also my, also my work with others. So after that is when I stepped into, actually, I took, that was part of my sabbatical year. I took a year off and I call that year as a year of coming home to myself. And because I left home, you know, very young and I left home probably wanting to run away from home to do something meaningful, purposeful, but also I was, I didn't want to be in small town New England. So I was like, I'm getting out of here. And this was my ticket out of small town New England. <laughs> so not, not probably the right reasons or motivations to do what I did, but it led me back home. Right. And so this was during to spend time with my dad because my mom had since passed and to really just to rediscover myself without the color, without formal ministry, stepping away from that. And say, All right. Who's, who's the Matthew or the, as my siblings call me fat Matt, who's the, who's the fat Matt that, that I lost connection with, you know, 25 years ago, who am I now? Who, what's my identity? And which I think is so important to have a strong identity, even before you have, you put some, you put your profession on top of that, right? Because when we link our identity only to our profession, that's, that's a whole nother topic to talk about. But so it was stepping away from that for a year. And again, challenging because, it, you know, I, you live, I was on this platform and had this identity and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to work as a waiter and no one's going to know me. Because I want to come home to myself and just, and also realize what the ordinary Joe does to survive in life, what it means to make, to make a few bucks and to, and to live. And then just living home with being with my siblings, my dad, I'd been, I'd been overseas for so long, right? There's been periods of five years that I didn't go home. I didn't visit the family, right? So it was just so meaningful for me to be able to do that. And it was during that year that I, I, just, I was really contemplating, should I leave ministry or not? Should I leave, stop being a priest? And, but I, I said, no, I want to give it, after the work I've done on myself, I want to give it one more try. And I think it's the most honest thing to do. And that's when um, I'd already been talking to the Navy, and that's when I joined the Navy as a chaplain, as a priest. So I went back into active ministry as a priest, as a Navy chaplain. And, that, and that's the whole, that was... I consider that one of the best decisions I ever made. And I wish I didn't make it so late in life because um, it's, a, it's an intense ministry, you know, and I was getting, I was in my late forties at this point. And so I was like, oh, I don't know, I have the energy to do this. But I always, I felt attracted to that ministry because I wanted to step out of the, just the normal, what a normal Catholic priest does and in the religious institution that I was a part of. I want to really I want to reach and serve a lot more people, a more, much more diverse population. Because the normal thing is priests, he deals with Catholics, right? And in the military, you deal with everyone. That's right? so true. Yes. It's like a melting pot. Right. I was, and I, and that's, you know, in diversity, that's why something I'm passionate about. And I saw that lived out in a very unique way in the, in the, um, in the military, in the way they blend so many people around a mission. Right. And it all becomes, it's just people are, it's very mission oriented and, and that's what it becomes about. So I've, I'm very passionate about the diversity thing. First of all, just because of the beauty of the human person. And I, I think that I've, I've been able to see the human person in so many different cultures and in places of the world. And, but uh, there's also just the human person is the human person, no matter where you are, yeah. and, and no matter what that looks like. Is it, 
and there's such a beauty and there's a dignity there. And um, so I, that's why it's something that I think is just so important. I think it's, if we see it as a new topic that we can discuss, it may be in the States or not, but it's the diversity has always been there since the beginning of the human race, right? Because really it's about the other, there's this yeah. otherness, the relationship with the otherness, um, which is, can be hard for us as human beings because the other is different, right? It and is. How, how do we get to know and, and love the other? So again, going back to the, my ministry with the, so in the military, you know, I'm, I'm placed on a base for this four to 5,000 people. I'm the only chaplain there. And so those are my people, right? And there's a lot of rotation. So about 12,000 go through there in a year. And so, and, and it was just, it's a very passionate, it's a high intense, it's a very intense, high, and it's an impactful ministry, right? And you never know what you're going to see during the day because you're dealing with the complexities and of the human person at their best and in their darkest moments. Yeah, And so I was able to do that for three years, but that also helped me clarify that while I loved serving people, right, and, and serving the, 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 the diversity of just the, in the complexity of the human person and the beauty of the human person, I just, the, the formal place of Catholic priesthood ministry, it just it didn't really seem to be the right fit for me. So it was a very hard decision to make because I was walking away something that meant a lot to me. And... And I was walking away from my ident- an identity, from the collar, from this and that. And then in the military, you walk away, you're an officer and you're a chaplain and you step away and it's now it's just me, right? <laughs> yes. I love that you just said that. Oh my gosh. So now your time with the military has ended. Yes. It ended yes. a year ago. Yes. That's amazing. And so now you're on this new journey, which is amazing. So, yeah. So tell us about that. Bridge that gap. Like, so here you, you realize like, okay, you love what you were doing, but not in that capacity. So now here you are doing another yet, right. Evolving in one more way, which I love. So tell us about that. Finding, finding a way to continue to serve people, which I feel that I am, I am definitely called to. And that's something that had called me since a very early age. I just probably didn't know where, what the, what was the best way to do that? Right. And so, so Ed, coaching has sort of, it's a, an industry that's come, you know, surfaced, it's boomed. It's so um, probably about whatever, 2016, 17, I began to hear about coaching. And I said, well, that would probably be a very natural fit for me. Um, because it's a, it's a way to continue to serve the human person. So I, I want to continue to serve people. I work with couples because I'm, I'm very passionate about the family right? And about relationships, just the human element, really. And the human element expresses itself in relationships, it expresses itself in the workplace. So I also, in leadership, right, is, is a big thing for me. My master's now at Penn State that I'm finishing is in the psychology of leadership. So really, it's to, to fine-tune the services that I can bring as a consultant and a coach and a trainer or educator to people in leadership positions, whether it be groups or whether it be individuals. Because leadership, it's one of those things that we talk about so much. It means everything, but also means nothing. And and we link it to a position, but it's not really being a, a good leader. It's not about having a position. It's about being able to, to lead properly, right? Which doesn't, you're not born necessarily with those abilities. There's, there's some things that we are born with. There's other things that we have to learn, right? And every context is different. So then different things have to be learned for different contexts, right? Not every leader is fit for every type of context. So there's, again, so it's a very complex 
Right, but again, we, we don't need to get all into that. But so I, but I get very passionate about it also because I've just I've worked in organizations and been part of organizations that um, where leadership um, does so much good, but also where there's where there's a lot of dysfunctional leadership and the damage that it does to an organization, to a climate, to an environment, to people. And, yeah. it, and it, it comes back to lives, to human, to people, to how they can suffer under poor leadership. Oh. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's a mic drop right there, right? That is so profound right there. Because, and I think about like all of your experiences and as you're saying this, I'm thinking this like, wow, everything that you're doing has been so relatable, related, right? Like it's always been about serving the people. And, and naturally it makes sense that you would get into couples, right? And be, be doing that because again, that comes back from the leadership of the church. Like it, it just all goes back to one place, which gives it, you're so experienced in that place and passionate about it too. And I think that's the coolest thing is when, when your experience and your passion meet, right? They collide and then anything can happen. And look at you now, right? This is, this is so cool. I love, I love what you're doing and I can't wait to see, you know, I know it's all still, you know, new, like you're, you know, uh, growing and scaling right now, but I know you've been working as a coach and doing all these other things. And as I said, in the beginning, I can't think of anyone else that I would rather learn from than someone like yourself, who's had so much experience in these so many ways, right? It's so vast. Uh, and I just love that. Oh my gosh. So now you're doing this coaching, which is your company, which is so cool. How do you, what do you feel about working for yourself? How does that feel? It's, it's a fearful, it's, it's a, the whole transition is very difficult. Now I'm going to use a biblical image for those who are familiar with it. If you, remember, you might remember the people of Israel were taken out of Moses, freed them from slavery in Egypt, right? Yes. But then they ended up walking through the desert for a, a number of years. 40. <laughs> and so, and they began to yearn, you know, because of what they were going through, what they were going through this long transition, which was difficult. They didn't, it didn't, it wasn't so clear where they were headed um, or what was going to be there, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. And, and so they began to yearn the flesh pots and the onions of Egypt. And I find myself during the transition doing that because as human beings, we want, we go, we easily go back to what is comfortable and what is known, right? The unknown change is just so difficult for our brain to manage. Right? And so, and that's partly why coaching is very helpful during transition, but it is, so there's, that transition is hard. And, and also that's why human beings, we sit in painful, but known places in our lives for so long because change is daunting. Right. So oh my I, mean, gosh. I, sat, I sat in my own position for a long time because I was, my whole life was sort of falling down. It was in a certain way crumbling because it's like, I, I don't know if I really want to be here, but this is what I committed myself to. And this is the only thing I know. So I can't, I can't do anything else. There's a lot of levels to it, especially in, in priestly life, because it involves your whole person. It's not a job, right? But people experience this on a, you know, on a different level and jobs, changing jobs is very difficult. And working with the military, transitioning from the military is very difficult again, because that involves a little bit more about, of your identity, right? And status. And so there's a lot involved in the sum. So I am going back to your original question. I'm very excited about it, but the, the, I, every day there's, there's always fears and like, is this going to work? And 
and you know will i be able to make this a successful business and because it, it i think the saddest place that i could end up in life right now is to to not be able to serve people right, right. because that's what um nourishes my spirit and hopefully that's what nourishes other and so to, to feel that i can't do that um would be sort of crippling again i would have to adapt again if that if that didn't work out find another way yeah. Right. And you know, it's funny, not funny, right? <laughs> but uh, this is the first time you're actually free, right? So like you, you were part of the church. So you weren't, you didn't have the freedom. Then you were right. part of the military. They owned you like, right. oh my gosh, you finally can just show up as Matthew Brackett and you're free and you can do whatever you want. And I think that's amazing. Uh, but like you said, scary because you know, there's, there's security in that fact that they own you. They have to worry about all that stuff and you just show up and do what you're supposed to do. Uh, and now it's all on you, right? Yeah. <laughs> now that I just dropped that on you. <laughs> I call it, no, I went through, I call that frightful freedom and it has two, two levels to it. One is, um, is that is all of a sudden I'm free. Right. And I remember the day I finished my time in the military, it was like, it was, it was a scary day. Yeah. I, I was stepping out into the unknown, right? But it was also a day that I had decided that I wanted and I was going to, so, but it was sort of this mix of, of, of excitement, but also of, of a lot of fear, right? So frightful freedom has to do with that. But I also experienced it in my spiritual journey where, where I, 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 in doing my military service and as a chaplain, I got to such a great moment where I was enjoying ministry and enjoying what I was doing. And I was almost, I was almost like at peace at where I was in life that in God was, I felt that God was that you, you could go either way. I am with you, whichever way you go. And I will always be with you. Right. And so that was a frightful freedom of feeling that I could, I could, I had all these choices in front of me. Yeah. It's almost easier when we were more told what to do or when circumstances of life just sort of tell us what we have to do. Right. Yes. <laughs> Right. Um, and I was at this very, um, uh, it's a very, it's a privileged moment to be able to make so many different choices. And I, and it's about taking responsibility for those choices, right? A lot of people, we, we, we can kind of find ease in, in pointing fingers about our circumstances, you know, and I've never wanted to do that. And as I go, we go through other aspects of my story, that's so important to me just to take ownership of my life and not blame other people. Um, and so just to have that freedom to make choices and to, that this is a decision I'm making and it's my responsibility and I will own up to it if it works. And if it doesn't work, I will also own up to it. That's it. Right. You do. That's the, yeah. And freedom isn't free, right? That there's, there's a price, no matter what, uh, there's always a price for that. There's always a price. And any choice we make, we're saying no to other things. That's right. Oh my gosh. Well, let's talk about this. I'm so excited that you put this out as one of our possible topics. So the beauty and dignity of the woman. I am so excited to talk to you about this for a few minutes. Uh, just your perspective from just all, all of this journey. So right. let's go give it to us. <laughs> Thank you. People, you know, people could say, what would a priest know about a woman, right? Since we don't enter into intimate relationships, you know, maybe I never had a girlfriend and things like that. But I use the example of a doctor who gets to know all kinds of different illnesses, even though they never had, I'm not saying that a woman is illness, but what I'm saying is, is 
as a priest, you, you, and I, the sake I'm, I'm invited into the sacred space of so many people's lives, thousands of people's lives over the years. And I consider that just one of, again, when we talk about the good in my life, it's, it's just that, that privileged space, the window, the very unique window into people's lives, whether it be women or whether it be men, because again, people, just thousands of people invite you into their life. So, so in doing that, I, I discovered really the, the beauty of the woman, right? And I'm not talking about the physical element. I'm just talking about the, the spiritual, the emotional, the, the, in, the interior of a woman, the power of a woman, right? We were all born from mothers. And so we all know what a mother does and we all love mothers, right? And, and, you know, and Mother's Day is one of the things that's most celebrated, right? But, and I like to use the word, it was actually from John Paul II, book called The Feminine Genius, right? in, mm. which I think had been lost, you know, just the way society developed. And, I, and I'm with this, I'm also, I want to highlight, obviously, the oppression that women have been, been through, right? And, and unequal rights and, and all this stuff. But when we look at history and we look at just any, in any story, the, the presence of, of women, of what it has done for good, right? And of what it has done to make, and even to make men better, right? As we know, behind every good man, there's even a much better woman, right? And, and I like to use an example, which is if we go back to creation, whether you're biblical or not, but there's a, there's a story in the Bible about creation, Right, there's two stories about creation, but one of them talks about how man is created from the dust of the earth, and the woman is created in this in in this story, right, from 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 flesh of the man, right. But what's what's the message there? Is the message there is about, and I want to say the higher dignity of the woman, right? The woman is made from something much higher than what the man is made of, right? Uh, and so the story of creation puts this, and if we bring this to the marriage ceremony, we also see this. Who's the center of, of a marriage ceremony, right? Who's, what's everyone waiting for? It's the not, bride. The, not the groom, right? People don't even know where he is, right? The, but it's the bride, right? And the arrival of the bride, the arrival of the woman. In the, in the story of creation, the woman is the crown of creation. And so and when I look, you know, in women, just their ability to love, their ability to connect, their sensitivity, their strength, their intuition, their intelligence on so many levels, their ability to sacrifice. I mean, who can sacrifice as much as a woman sacrifices, right? In, in bearing children, right? In, yeah. in just everything that that means and that you're the ability, and that brings the ability of a woman's love to a whole nother level, right? I, I felt, you know, women, they, they tell me, I, I didn't think I could love more. And then I had a baby and I realized how much, and then I didn't think I could love more. And then I had a second child and it brought my, in the, in how their heart grows and expands their ability to just to give and, and to their ability to make men better. Right. And I think with the, the misunderstood feminist revolution, which had its place because for equality and for rights and all, which was so important, but there was also the, I, I just felt that they, the feminist movement also put this, a whole bunch of more weight on, on, on women that, oh, you're not doing enough or you aren't enough. You have to be this, you have to do this. And I just, I think that did a lot of harm to women and also, and in, and in displacing women, I think from there, you know, it also, it affected men in a big way. 
in producing really a crisis of masculinity. And you hear women complain about men all the time nowadays. And I think part of it has just has to do with the, the um, a misinterpreted or misunderstood feminist movement, which, um, which kind of made men, it made them lose their place as well. And so it just created a lot of chaos and confusion. Um, but we need and the, the female genius, the female expressions, the femininity, the dignity is just, it, it brings beauty to everyone's life. And there's just so much there. I don't know about the rest of the people, but I feel pretty good right now. <laughs> Thanks for empowering me. You know, I, I think as women, we don't stop to think about that. We're so much every day in that the day, the daily things. And just, and again, like, we work so hard, right? We take care of so many things. Not that men don't, but as mm. women, like when it all starts to crumble, we're the ones who are like gathering all up and trying to put it back together again. So I think that's so, so amazing. So for Thanks. the women out there, oh my gosh, you just heard it from the the priest himself, right? <laughs> I don't want to say the ex-priest because it's still <laughs> right. art, right? But sure. uh, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to say around that? One thing, Cammy, just thank you for that. One thing about this is with this, I just, I feel that some people, some women come from a place of, of scarcity, right? When there's so much abundance in womanhood, right? Scarcity, which is, is really, it's imposed from, from the outside, right? And they overcompensate because they think that they're not enough or they have to show up in this way or that way. Hey, you know, in your femininity, in your womanhood, you have more than enough than what we need, right? What the world needs, what your workplace needs, what your family needs. And, and so when you overcompensate, I think a woman loses, loses that, that female genius, right? Because we're, we're filling in the holes with stuff that's, that's not authentic. It's like another addiction, right? Like as we talk about addiction, it's, that's one of them. Like we, as women, I see it all the time because I work with so many women and I have for gosh, almost 30 years. And that's like, they're constantly comparing themselves to, to other women, right? They're always coming up, not enough. They, you know, they're always saying, you know, well, I don't, they're making excuses, you know, like you say, filling in the holes, like to try to make themselves feel better than they're making excuses. Well, her husband's more supportive. Well, she wasn't, she was born on the right side of the tracks right. or, you know, like there's so many things, none of it is true. Right. And as I mentioned, you know, as you mentioned, the, the holes or the, the voids, right? We have to embrace those and not fill them with the wrong things, right? Or just, or what, or expectations or what other people, no, fill them with, with the right things for you, with that authenticity with, and embracing your reality, the truth about yourself and embracing your unique beauty, right? Mm. Because that's what you have to bring to so many people. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, so let's go back to... And I think this is so important because, of course, women are raising children. Uh, they're raising boys. They're married. Some are married to men. Right. So the, and, and other women. I mean, there's so much out there as far as diversity. But I want to go back to this pornography issue before we move on mm -hmm. um, that, you know, you you mentioned some of that in your own experience. Uh, and what I would love to do is give women 
uh, some tips, <laughs> some tips about this, because it could be going on. They may not know how to deal with it. A lot of times people, they won't talk about it, right? Because that brings shame and embarrassment and humiliation. And I love to bring topics here that we can talk to women where they wouldn't otherwise feel comfortable. So it can be that one way conversation that right. they can be a bug on the wall and just listen. So a few of the questions I have for you around that is uh, first, let's start with the mom raising the child. Uh -huh. So because this is this is where it all begins and then goes on. So uh, at what point would you say and I know you and I talked about this, so I want to make this clear too that. Years ago, pornography was like a male thing. And today uh, it is all genders. So let's talk about that. And let's, I think first, let's answer the question. At what point in a child's life does this begin? Right. <laughs> There's a few things here. That, so, and again, uh, just uh, I don't consider myself an expert in this field. I'm, I, I think I know a lot and just dealing with a lot of people around this stuff in my own, in my own life. Right. But there's a, there's, I would have to do some more reading to be able to be, give accurate answers to all this. But I think, I, I don't know, at what age are you going to talk about, talk to your children about, about sexuality, right? About their own sexuality and about sexual intimacy and the relationship, you know, the birds and the bees and how, how children come about. That's an important question. I don't, I mean, the age is becoming early and earlier because why? Because children have access, right? And also it goes from family to family. How much access do your children have to the virtual world, right? Yes. Or, or what are the limits that you're putting on, on your internet so that they don't have access to certain things, right? And there's, you're getting, probably in your audience, there's a lot of mixed opinions around this. You know what my, um, I'm giving my, my child the ability to experience and to explore, right? But we also understand, and this is just human psychology, the child is in development, right? And, and if an underdeveloped human being is given access to certain things, they're not going to know what to do with it. And that's why education is so important, right? And I think, and this is just really an opinion, but I think a lot of the education around sexuality, the best place for it is at home, right? I and agree. Of it, yes, that it's going to happen in the school nowadays, is it's, it's, it's going to happen. But, but I think with parents, the difficulty is that they have a hard time, even though sexuality and is so, it's so much part of our life, we have a hard time talking about it. Couples have a hard time talking about it. But sometimes it just happens, right? Sexual intimacy, intercourse, it just happens. You know, they don't necessarily always talk about it and what they like and what they don't like and, and when's the best time and all this. It just sort of happens because there's something just about the topic that we, and that's why I love to talk about it because the more we talk about it, um, the easier it becomes for other people. I, I feel like I'm, I'm unleashing or giving permission to other people to, to kind of bring that topic to the table. And I, let me share an experience. This goes back to my, my working in the seminary, right? When I began, and just in my, my own personal struggle, but when I began to teach seminar, speak openly about sexuality and about the difficulties or the challenges that a male might face and, our, you know, and in living celibacy, I felt in, in, just in the group, I felt like a huge sigh of relief that I was addressing a huge elephant in the room that nobody talked about and no one knew how to talk about it. And when I brought that to the church then, and also to the pulpit, when I would talk about, obviously no age appropriate way, but sure. you bring, people, they, they found it so 
are not only nourishing, but relieving, but encouraging because it's like no one talks about this, right? And if it always has to be talked about in the shadows, right? And in the darkness or, or just on our own. And so there's been this guilt and shame around that. So it's going back to your original question, it depends, you know, when do, when's an age appropriate time to talk about sexuality, about um, a girl or boy's sexuality, and then what, and then relationship with the other sex, right? And, and while, what all that means, I don't, I don't, can't put a specific age on it, but nowadays it's becoming, you know, nine, 10 or 11, right? This kids that at eight or nine have a free access to things that their parents can't even imagine that they're watching, right? And this, it's a scary thought. Part of it is also just going back to pornography is it's a very, it's an unregulated, in a certain sense, it's very unregulated because no one's really dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was just listening to a, an interesting podcast called Hot Money from put out by Pushkin, Hot Money, and it talks about uh, on porn, right? Who's the king of porn? I think it's like six or seven um, episode series about the history of modern day pornography, right? And really, and it ends up being regulated by um by the credit card companies right because no one else is stepping in and credit card companies don't want to be caught being involved in 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 illegal enterprise right so it's kind of crazy about how it all developed initially it wasn't regulated by anyone but all of a sudden it became free access to everyone and that was a huge step from when people had to pay for you know or back when we were kids where it wasn't accessible you had to really make an effort right and i yeah I came across one that my only act as a child, I came across one magazine and a guest in a friend's house. That was my only thing ever. And then the next time I saw pornography was when it came on the TV when I was probably 30, when I was a priest, when I was 32. And that was sort of like, it wasn't a good moment for me, right? It, was, it wasn't good timing. Um, but they, we didn't have easy access to it. Now it's a, it's a click away and it's free. Yeah. And so, so I think... 9, 10, 11, you have to gauge it. Your kids is, your kids are probably are seeing more things than you think they are. And if they're not seeing it at home, then one of their friends is, might be showing it to them on the phone. And then with the way sex education is now, they're bringing it at a very young age into the schools and they're telling kids everything. So parents, have, I think, have a great responsibility to take ownership of their sexual education of their children and to bring it up now at a, at a younger age rather than an older age. Mm. Um, and but I think there's probably a lot of support. There's a lot of good things out there, a lot of good programs, um, healthy programs around sexuality. They talk about, you know, from the dignity of a human person and not just as sex as 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 an exploratory game. Right. Okay. What about couples? Tell us a bit, little bit about that. What does that look like? Uh, what are the signs? Like, if you think, like, what does that look like outwardly? How would you know that you were with someone who was addicted to pornography? I think it's important for couples also to talk about what their relationship with pornography is, just to have that open conversation, even when they're just going out, when they're dating, before they also then when they're married, because some couples also use it as sort of um, something that as a turn on and it's something that sort of helps them in their own in their own sexual intimacy. Right. So I think it's really, it's, it's about defining boundaries and, and where the place that it will have in our relationship. And the difficulty, you know, when I talk about sexuality in the woman, I think it's much more complete in its expression because it involves her whole being. Oftentimes in the man, well, sometimes it can be complete as well, but it can also just be a genital thing. And, and so 
It's just, I think it's important to have that conversation. And for men, if they are, you know, if they, it's something to have easy access to, and we know that just the porn world was essentially designed for men, right? Now, yeah. now it's also, uh, it's a female thing. There's a lot of women and young women that are, are turning to it and then it becomes an addictive um, behavior as well for them. Something that I, I heard a lot about, you know, in ministry. And it's sort of a novelty. It wasn't quite expected to go that way, but at some point, it was. I think it was understood that it was going to go that way, where it became there's much more of a female audience as well. And then the, now there's all, so many different types, right, of of pornography, and and there's sort of different types that it, that are just made for different types of people. But it's it's a, with the the challenge with it. It's a never ending. You're always going to want more, like any addiction, right? And it's and then it becomes unhealthy, and because oftentimes wives can feel, and women can feel so disrespected because my husband wants more, right? And where is he? Sometimes where is he getting that? Well, he's, he might be getting it from the um, virtual world of pornography, where you want different types of turn-ons. Yeah. Right, and where women can feel very disrespected and not considered in their in their totality, right? But there's also an important conversation to go on, right? Of how to pleasure each other and how to keep each other happy um, how to, to satisfy certain needs but the conversations around that so that it's always done in a very respectful manner and also to know how to step back well, my partner doesn't like that well then this is all about in the end sexual expression is all about love of the other not it's not about self-love and that's where it gets distorted when it all becomes about me and becomes um, in my view in a, an unselfish view and, and a selfish view of sexuality and distorted, right? And it becomes very hurtful. But I didn't really answer your question. I think it's important for couples to talk about it, right? About what our boundaries are, how we're going to deal with it. And, and yeah, it's, it's a how do how do we, you know, how does a wife bring it up with her husband? It's because how do you ride that balance of trying to trust and I'm not looking, you know, and I'm not revising their, their history or the, right, how do I trust? I think it's, I just think trust is important. And another thing that's and this, has, some of my people might take this as offensive, but women, I think if my husband is watching porn, even if it's just once in a while, we take it very personally, right? Because it's either I'm not enough or, we we take it very personally. Yes, uh, that's what I'm thinking. Is, is that's exactly what they're thinking? Yes. And, some, and oftentimes it's it's nothing personal, and the man is is not getting into any romantic relationship with this virtual thing. But it's really just it's it's a, it's more of a it's a genital. It's and it's sort of a, a very base and low expression of sexuality. But it's oftentimes doing it just to satisfy that. Right. I'm not excusing it. Right. But um, what I'm trying to say is also not to take it so personally that it's an it's offense against me. I think it can be an offense against the dignity of the person, or the dignity of the man, right? So you deserve better, right? Yeah. You deserve, you deserve better. And it's, but it's not like my wife is not enough. Holy smoke. A lot of men would never see it as that. They're just curious and have extra time or whatever, or, you know, or they're just sort of, you know, they're... The, whatever word you want to use. There's a lot of, and so, but there's got to be healthier ways to deal with it. Right. right. And I would, I would encourage women just really, and I'm not putting it on women, but couples to take care of each other also at this level. 
as sexually, but also, but romantically, emotionally, because I think when, when we ever start turning to other things, right. And I think for men, men and women, we're going to, we turn something that just might not be as dark or shameful as something like pornography, but what are we turning to, right? What are, how are we unfaithful? Because as unfaithful, we always link it to sexuality, but infidelity goes, has so many more expressions yes. in, the way we, in the way we speak to each other or in the things that we don't talk about in the way we speak about each other, right? In the way we deal with each other. There's, there's I think there's a lot more levels of marital infidelity and infidelity in ways to strengthen the marriage. I, and I love what you said too, just about, it's so simple just to have the conversation, right? Like nobody wants to have these conversations. Uh, but I think that that really is. And I, I feel like I want to say like, have it early on, right? Like don't wait, like have it in the beginning, which I love like how a lot of the religions have like premarital classes and things like that. But I wonder how much of it is around that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you want to have that conversation, no upfront and then respect whatever that boundary is that's set. Um, and, and as you said, like there are places you can go for help, right? So if it becomes an addiction that's unhealthy mm-hmm. um, or has you living outside of, you know, what your values are, um, that rather than hide it and feel shameful about it, that to get help, which is, I love right. that. I and love to bring that. it to the light. When we bring something to the light, it um, loses its power over us, right? And that's what we, whatever it is, whatever thing we're going through, right? And, and this is, you know, in any addictive behavior, right? And there's somewhere we we rationalize it a lot because it it's not seen as as unhealthy or as bad. It's not as obvious, right, as some other behaviors, right? Even just with just digital addiction nowadays or social media, right? That's becoming an issue, right? But yeah. it's sort of it's acceptable, right? In the military, um, alcohol relationship with alcohol was sort of an acceptable behavior, but was it unhealthy in many ways? Of course, it was. Right? Sure. But it wasn't sort of, it was culturally acceptable. Isn't that where that term came? Drinking like a sailor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I think so bringing it to the light and there's, you know, and it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to even be a professional. It could be just a buddy. It could be an accountability partner in any sector, right? Yeah. Um, there's, there's also 12-step programs for all different types. Right? We always think of Alcoholics Anonymous, but there's so many other 12-step programs for, um, there's a there's codependency 12-step programs, right? Which is a big thing. There's the people that were abused in alcohol relationships. There's, those, there's also um, 12-step programs for people with with um, with some sort of sexual addiction. Yeah, right? good That's, to know. And those are those are always there's so many healthy things out there. And then there's a lot of good resources online to how to teach our kids um, how to have these conversations. Yeah. Amazing. We need that (laughs) as parents, right? That, that is so needed. And I think it's a, I think for, you mentioned earlier, just kind of like nobody wants to have the conversation. And I think as parents, like kids never want to know that their parents do that, right? Right. Like (laughs) they do not want to know. And so I think that makes it hard too, is like, oh, we got to tell them something they don't want to know, you know? And so that is, that's funny too. And like, and they, they don't come to grips with that until they're older, but by then, 
then it's too late. They needed to have the conversation a long time ago. So before they become teenagers, because once they become teenagers, they don't want to envision, you know, that their parents have to do those things or that's where they came from, right? But before that, when they, when they still have their, their innocence and that love and acceptance of their parents, right? It's probably the right time to have those conversations. Yes. Oh my gosh. All right. This has been amazing. So tell us a little bit about Bracket Alliance. Uh, we, I just want to hear like, you know, now here you are, uh, you're building this brand and you're offering amazing um, services to clients. So tell well, us a look, little bit about that. To offer, yes, we look to offer good quality services to clients. Alliance has, I chose that word for a few things because part of the service and and is making having an alliance with yourself and to to commit to work right and an alliance to with yourself to become the best person that you be, you can become but then it's also about the relationship with me i see that also as an alliance right i i am your ally we make an alliance to support you in that journey another aspect of the alliance is maybe i might envision where i would bring other people onto the team or other types of services where there would also be an alliance in that in the quality and diversity of services that we offer to people. So that's that. really what aligns me. But my, my work really is, again, it's around the human element because I think that's where, because of not only study, but also experience that I've been so fortunate to have is just those windows in the, in the, into the human person, the knowledge of the human person. And um, so part, it's really the, the human element and then bringing that to relationships. And again, relationships, whether it be in romantic relationships, but it's also in the relationships in the workplace or in society, um, politics, whatever, however, whatever expressions that have. But also it's really working with people in leadership positions. Again, another area I'm very passionate, the human element, but in leadership and followership, right? It goes on, it's on both sides, right? And how what that relationship is like, what, what is healthy leadership, right? And how does leadership adapt to different circumstances? And so there's coaching and consulting and education around, around, you know, life issues and around um, leadership and just the human element. So it's going to have a different expressions and in that, as well as diversity, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer and through the Institute of diversity. And so it's that was a it's that was a difficult decision for me to make right because it's a it's charged um, space right now it's a, politically ideologically right but i'm i think that i i come at, because of the angle that i'm coming at and because of my experience i think i i have a lot to offer to that space and i'm really coming at it from the dignity of the human person right and you no know, doesn't matter it's just the dig fundamental dignity of the human person I right? love it. And, and, and so we Oftentimes, I just think, you know, going through the training and working a little bit in that space, I find it sometimes contradictory because I find that space sometimes not welcoming to someone like me because I'm a white heterosexual male. <laughs> like, like you're the problem that we're trying to step away from. But, um, but I, so I, there was that. And then there's the contradiction of, you know, where when they, when they teach, you know, the surface level diversity and then there's deep level diversity. So we make it about the deep level diversity, right? It's just that every person is unique. That in itself is diversity, right? But when we measure it, we end up measuring it according to skin color and sexual orientation. And so that's why I think we do a disservice, right? But again, those are probably the only metrics we have now, um, right? Because a lot of the other, those are the only visible maybe metrics that we have. 
And so that's what's used. That's what creates sort of contradiction, right? Because we teach the diversity is about all these things, the uniqueness and beauty of the human person. But then when we measure it, we measure it, um, we, we reduce it to just a few categories. So I'm stepping into that category, into that space. I don't, I think my type of training and education probably won't be for everybody, but some people will find it. I think will some organizations, teams will might be what they want because of the how I frame it for them. Cammy, let me I wanted to say something a little bit about leadership. Really, any position when we're put in positions, whether it be parents, but also in the professional life. Again, or as a priest, right? You're sort of put in this position where you think you have to have it all together. Right? And I think one of the a lot of the challenges with people in those positions is is the lack of awareness, their inability to look at themselves, right? I experienced it for many years. And well, I think I had some awareness about a lot of things, but I was also had a, a lot of blind spots. And and that's why I think coaching or just having someone that they people can go to is it's a way to to take care of themselves, but it's also a way to, to lead better, right? Because there's just, there's a lot of blind spots. And again, that is going back to what I said before is that a lot of people can be hurt just through poor leadership or through unaware leaders. Right. And so that's one thing. And another thing that I, that came to mind was that I wanted to mention with, and when I was working with Marines and sailors, I would talk to them very often, you know, on a weekly daily basis, just different groups. And something that came to my mind was about, and in our professional life and in the Marine Corps is like you to do anything, you have to, you have to go through mandatory training, right. To be able to teach sure. this, to, be able to do this, whatever your specialty in the military, in the professional life, there's all this expected obligatory and mandatory training that we have. And I, and I would say, what are the two most important things that you're going to do in your life? And that first of all, what, what are the two? And a lot of them say, well, you know, and I would say, besides being a Marine, like, well, I'll, I'll be in a committed relationship. I'll be married or in a committed and I'll be a parent. And I was like, what mandatory training and education does society offer you for the two most important things? And, and there was sort of a, you know, a, you know a, a bright light moment for everyone. It's like, holy smokes. You know, we're always intentional about our professional development. But um, how intentional are we about our personal and human development? And how intentional are we about our development for relationship because society is built on a relationship and the family, however it looks, the family is the base of society. And then and how much training and how much do we invest in that, in our relationship? Right. So I would always encourage, you know, couples in, in a committed relationship to, you know, every day, every week, every month, every year, what are you doing to intentionally invest in growing in your relationship? Um, and then as parents, we're expected just to know how to do it. Yeah. And it's true. We learn from our family of origin. We learn a lot of good things, but we also might learn some not so good things or unhealthy things. So there's a lot of resources out there. So what, what do I do to intentionally um, prepare myself to be the best parent that I can be? So those, those are just two things that I think are important to me around leadership and around intentional investment and for the, as to be in a relationship and to be a parent. I couldn't agree more. I think, and the world, where the world is today, we need more leaders, right? We need more trained leaders to rise up. Uh, and I think that that is uh, part of why we're where we are is because of lack of that. So I think it all stems around leadership. I followed uh, John Maxwell forever. Like I followed that for years and about leadership. And, it, you know, of course we know he builds churches and 
he leads pastors, but um, just that whole structure of leadership and how powerful it is. And I think if I was ever to invest in anything in myself, leadership would be the number one thing because that starts right. And he even says that, right. It rises, rises and falls, falls on, on, leadership. on leadership. Yes, he I does. Mean, I am, I mean, I'm, I'm a trained, you know, I'm part of the Maxwell group, the Maxwell leadership team. So I'm also trained I, in that. And so yeah, he has such great material about for personal development and for leadership development. And he just packages it very well. He's and he's such a good communicator, right? So you take the leadership and you take the communication and you put them together. So I just love that. So I love that you're working with leaders, that you're training up leaders. I think, you know, and it reminds me of the military in a way of like, we need to like train them up and go forth, right? And like, and, and do the thing, give the world what the world needs, give the people what the people need. I think that there's so much right now, so much opportunity for leaders to rise up really and yes. take their place in this world and make a difference. And I love that you're a part of helping people to, to be educated and to be empowered to take those steps and be able to make a difference. And so thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And, you, you know, I yes, I just I, I'm so passionate about that. So, you now, Matthew Brackett, you have to tell us. What makes you invincible? Okay, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I, I would say <laughs> I don't believe I don't believe a human being is invincible, right? There's all this pop psychology about that you can do this. You, I, I'm a fan of positive psychology, right? Which is a lot of work has been done by Martin Seligman um, on this and the power of mindset and attitude. But I'm not a fan of people living in denial, right? Where where we like tell our tell ourselves lies, right? Which is sometimes can be caught up in the pop culture. We are limited, but we're also self-limiting, and that's the powerful work of coaching and supporting people, and to become their greatest ally rather than their greatest limitation. But that being said, all right now you asked me what makes me invincible. I think in my story, um is when I look at when I was down, right? And there were the moments were very dark moments. I'm sitting in places where I never, I never wanted to be as Matthew and as a human being. And my ability to rise up. And, and I, I, some of this is reflected in, in our Christian faith around the resurrection, right? But there's the ability to rise up. It always inspired me, right? And that and to, to respond to negativity with positivity, right? Because we, it wasn't about getting sucked up in the negativity of the moment of whatever I was going through or whatever other people were doing to me, even if it was unjust, right? To not to respond to negativity with negativity, to not respond to violence with violence, anger with anger, but I wanted to respond with dignity. And for me, that, that was always sort of the last word, right? And that was, I suppose, maybe what's, if you want to use the word, what made me invincible is, I, I wanted to rise up and I wanted dignity and love and goodness to always have the last word. And also that nothing's going to get me down. I mean, God is on my side and I, I have a lot to offer. And even though things haven't worked out the way I wanted them to or the way I expected them to, you know, I'm at a place where I never wanted to be. And I, right. And there's a lot of mixed emotions with that. Um, I will rise up. Right. With the help of others, with the help of, and that's not a, it's not a, it's just sort of an ego thing. I will rise up on my own, but I will rise up with the support of others and with the support of God. 
right? And to respond always with dignity. And, and I have tried to respond to crisis and challenges in my own life with, with dignity because the only one responsible for me and the only one responsible for the way I respond to challenges or crisis or whatever it is, it's me. And I'm the only one that can give account for it. Ah. Uh. That is so great. I love that. And I love, I agree with you about this whole invincibility thing, but for us, invincible is never letting anything keep you down. So you're going to get knocked down like a, you know, a feather in a wave, right? You're going to get smacked from side to side. Uh, and, and that is, that is the way that life is. Um, but what makes you invincible is always that. And I love what you said to that you rise up. That is so powerful. There's a song about that, right? There is, yes. Yes, and I love that song. And I listen to it sometimes <laughs> when I'm not feeling so invincible. I'll put that song on and just listen to it and take it in. And, and that really empowers me. So I love that you said that because it felt so powerful. And it reminds me that, you know, these are the things. And But yet keeps me straight, right? Like we can't Thank do this. Can, yes. We can't right, do this right. on our own, right? We cannot do this on our own. We we can't. It does. It really does take a village. It sounded like a funny cliche when people said it takes a village, but <laughs> I'm here to tell you it really does take a village. So this has been so great. Let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. So right now they can find me on LinkedIn, right? Uh, Matthew Brackett, uh, Instagram, Brackett Alliance. Those are probably the easiest ways to find me. I'll have a website up over the next few months. And which will be bracketalliance.com. And, and they'll also be able to find my services there. But always feel free to, yes, to, to reach out. Awesome. For any, any, any of the services mentioned or anything not mentioned that you think I might be able to support you with. I love that. That's awesome. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour which is a virtual event that's gonna happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster and you wanna come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend and it is on Zoom. So super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. 
Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. And you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce, fierce entrepreneurs. We're going to share their expert zone of genius. We are going to say all the things. We're going to give them everything that they need to hear or learn that can help them today and in the future. And we've done that. You've done that so great today. Boy, we've really covered a lot of ground here. Uh, but but we're not done because <laughs> you can't get away, even if you're a uh, he's invincible. We, we use the same rules. Uh, we, we also promise them that we're going to pull back the curtain, that we're going to share. Yes, because, you know, people... They, they see your success, right? They see what you've overcome. They see where you are. They see what you've done. They see where you're headed. Oh my gosh, you know, you mentioned, you know, not being where you want to be, but you know, it, there has to be a part of you that believes that you're where you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. where, where God puts us where we're supposed to be and prepares us in those moments where we're going next. And I really believe that. And so with this good, bad, and ugly, I love that we get to share the stories because people are going to want your success, but they don't have any idea what that price you paid was. When we pull back the curtain and we share the truth, then we say, oh, do you really want his success? Are you willing to pay the price? And you know what they say. Oh, no, I don't want to go through anything he went through, right? Uh, but, you know, looking back, those moments are the ones that define us. They prepare us. They get us in position. And when we look back on those things, we're grateful. Somehow, we're grateful when we end up in that next place. I know for myself, I can look back and say, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And all of those things that I thought were the worst are the things that prepared me to be the best in this next moment. So I'm excited to jump in with you (laughs) because I know a little bit about your story. And so let's jump in. Let's share with our listeners. Let's start with the story about the good. Give us a quick story about the good or the great part of your journey. All right. Thank you. And thank you, Cammie. And I love pulling back the curtains because you're right. I'm a big fan of of being real because I think that's what really helps people. Right. And and embracing that in our own life. So I think, first of all, a lot of my story, I I linked to the, again, a biblical story, the prodigal son, right. Where I was, um, you know, in a wonderful place in ministry, but I also went on a journey searching. I was at a wonderful place in small town, New England, but I also went out and embarked on a journey to search, right? And the prodigal son, I ended up in pretty dismal places, right? As yes, did I. Sir. But that dismal place was so important, as you said, 
to be able to realize what we have in the father's house or in, in home, right. And in, in our family. And, right? and so I like to link to that. And, and I've, in my life, I've seen myself as the father because oftentimes I was the one embracing so many other people. So like any biblical story, we see ourselves in so many different people, but I also see myself in the, in the prodigal son. Right? And that's, and I think there's one, one moment when I was on retreat during my sabbatical year, when I was like, very confused and not sure what to do because there's a lot of pressures about staying in ministry, but a lot of um, pressures also that that wasn't just the right fit for me. And so I remember, and it wasn't a crazy moment. There was just this conviction or a voice, whatever you want to say, where God, I experienced that God said, I am with you. Whichever decision you make, I'm okay with it. And it was, it was a very consoling moment because we sort of, sometimes we project all these things on, on our life or on God or, you know, on this sort of duty obligation that comes towards us or weighs us. And, and that was just a very freeing moment to experience that. And then another thing about the good is, is really just that unique privilege window into people's lives. And something that we haven't talked about is, you know, and it's, and rightly so, we haven't talked a lot about it, but, you know, being able to sit in confession, which I think is a very beautiful, is when people come to you in their truth, right? They don't disguise it in anything. It's they bring their most difficult truths to that moment. And I have to say that that was such a beautiful window. I would always admire a person more after that moment, right? Because it's, it's just the beauty of 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 owning our truth and and of humility and of asking for forgiveness and reconciling one with oneself with the community with god right and so again there's so many stories just the unique windows that i've been allowed to have into people's lives and to be with them in their highest moments but also in their most darkest moments and and i just i've considered myself so privileged right and i never took it for granted that people would invite me into that sacred space to to walk with them and I, my prayer as, as in ministry and now is to never take that sacred space lightly, but to always treat it with utmost respect. And hopefully I will continue to always do that. I love that, especially as you're going out on your own, right? When as you're operating on your own, you definitely want like that uh, as someone coming to you as a client, you want that, be able to have that trust that they can, you know, be uh, open and authentic and share because that the more, you know, the more you can help them. And yet they have to feel that trust. So coming from mm -hmm. a priest, I, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I could probably tell him anything, right. It would go to the grave. So I love that. I love that. And I love that that was the greatest part for you because it shows, you know, how much you valued and appreciated and felt, you know, so privileged in that position that you never took that for granted. And I love that because that says a lot about you as well. Okay. That was fun. That was really fun. But now you know where we're headed. We have to talk about the bad. So let's save the ugly for last, but tell us a story about the bad part of the journey. The bad part, there's probably a few, but just one. <laughs> um, sitting in, sitting in pain. And that led to two things. Um, and it was sort of a tragic moment, right? Where there was, um, I was in Rome. I had, I had a fling as, as, as you called it, right? Just 
again, not, not supposed to do that as a priest, my celibacy, right? And that wasn't, that was a bad place to be. Right. And then it led to um, me again, looking, this is when I, I first started to look for, for care, right. For um, attention and to get a, a psychological assessment to realize where I was at in life, because this, again, it wasn't, this was an expression that's the things were off. Yeah. Right. And, and I think after, during that first deep dive assessment that I had, it was walking out of there and realizing and trying to own that I was, I was sick. I was, I was in a bad place. I was in a dark place and I couldn't get out of there on my own. I tried for years to get out of there on my own or to survive, but I was like, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And that was a very, it's a very painful pace. And I like what, along with this, I like to talk about how I befriended pain in that moment because pain revealed so many things to me about myself that I hadn't been, that I'd been avoiding. Right? I think there's two sort of two relationships that we can have with, with pain is that we can allow it to take control of our lives and really dominate and make us bitter and angry. Right. And sort of, or it can, we can live disconnected from it in denial and sort of pretending it, it it's not there. Right. And and this was a moment when I remember walking out of a, out of a cardinal's office in Rome after he had asked me to step away from my high-profile job because of just there was some there were some anonymous um, threats that I was receiving. Someone didn't like me and wanted, and I was an easy blank target because of the position that I had. Um, but I was also just struggling in my own life, and and he asked me to step aside and. I just walking out of that office in Rome, walking through the plaza and, and feeling this is a place I've never wanted to be. Right? I never wanted this to happen to me. Right? And I hate this. Um, but it was also when I looked pain in the eyes and only then did pain smile at me and did I allow pain to begin to walk with me. And be, I began to listen to pain in allow the wisdom of my faithful friend to pour into my life and to teach me about myself, about my present, about my past, about my needs, about my heart, also about my potential future. And that became a friend, pain became a friend that led me home. Uh, that's like, oh, I'm clutching my heart. Befriending pain. If that is not the best advice to anyone in the world right now, I don't know what else you could say that would just shake people up to shake them out of wherever they are right now. So powerful. What a mic drop. It's like, I want to end on that. We're definitely making some quote cards. That one. And that's not the first time you've said it, but it's still, it hits it harder every time. Okay, here we go. Now we have to talk about the ugly. So tell us the story about the ugly. The ugly, uh, it's very linked, I suppose, to some of the bad, yeah. right? I think they overlap. But the, and again, part of it just has to do with being in a place that I never imagined or never wanted to be. It's sort of a, when you're in a place where you never wanted to be or expected to be, it's your ego is hearts, right? It's like, oh boy, I, my world, everything just comes tumbling down. Um, so the ugly part, there's a few, again, a few moments. One is linked to that moment that I just mentioned. Another one is, um, and this goes back quite a few years, but 
Um, again, because of the sexual abuse scandal in the church, um, I was also working in Ireland where there was a whole crisis there. And because of my position, I was in, I was an easy target as well for people that were angry. And so there was this anonymous allegation against me, which, um, yes. And that, that was probably, I was at that stage, I was going through burnout. I was having a hard time with life and just coming to grips with things and and that sent me into the ugliest and darkest place I had ever been. And partly because I, you're there alone. Not nobody really knew about it. It was it wasn't a, it was just a very internal thing. It was anonymous. It really didn't have any legs to it. But but what it did to me is it just sort of I was already you know one of my engines was already out. It really just it sank me. And then and it sank and because of the, it's. I was on my own and I didn't have any, I didn't know who to talk to, where to go. And then you go to, you talk to someone, people don't understand what you're going through. Right. And so they, they don't know what to say, or they say stuff like, Oh, you're going to be okay. And when you're going, you know, and I learned a lot from all of this and working with Marines, you just, there's a, or just with people, there's certain things you just don't say. Yes. Right. And because it, even though your intent is to help, um, it doesn't really help the moment, right? Another one of those phrases, everything happens for a reason. So no, a lot of things don't happen for a reason, right? But our mission as human beings is to to find meaning in things that happen and to find purpose. And, and that goes back to my whole thing about rising up, right? I think there's a lot of things that happen to me that were just malicious from other people, right? Or also just poor decisions. And it's trying to find meaning and trying to make that work. So that was one really ugly, ugly moment, right? And it's not something that I share often. Um, now, if there was truth to it, I would have owned it and whatever, whatever. But it's just when it, when it's anonymous and when it's false and it's just, and then you have to be, you know, you have to be investigated. You have to go through the process. You have to be put into a flying pattern and you're, out and you're just, and you're on your own and you're on your own with your dark thoughts and where my life just, shattered you know and i knew my future would and that moment marked me forever i it, i was never the same after that yeah this is this is what is going to equip you to help others though right when you have seen the lonely place and the most painful places and the most disappointing right. moments of your own journey these are where you can come alongside these other people and really make a difference in their life and they're searching yes. for you and the i way, the way you said cammy it's just it's, as I look back, I think, the, and I don't want me, I don't mean to end on something good after we talked about the ugly. Oh, no, no, we do that. <laughs> but being able to, um, to reconcile with all of my past, to love my past. There was a moment in life when I hated my past and my present, right? And I didn't have much hope for the future, right? But it was, it sounds very dramatic. But anyways, it, but I'm at a point where I was, I was able to, through a lot of work, just to reconcile with my past, to love my past, because it, it, it led me to so many good places and it led me to, I think, to understand the human person in much deeper ways by having to experience what people go through. And so I'm, I, I, there's a lot of, as you said, said before, there's all of those dark and difficult moments. I think it helped me to serve better and hopefully it will continue to help me to serve others better. I think so too. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here today, for being authentic I am excited to watch you continue to rise up as you step into all of these amazing places that are next up on the journey to your success. And 
I just, I am, I can't wait. I'm excited. I can't wait. And I know there's going to be more, right? There'll be more disappointments. There'll be more, more difficult things along the journey. This is where we learn, right? So yeah, yeah. When it's good, we're the teacher. And when it's not good, we're the student, right? So I know there's going to be so many more times, but I'm just so excited to know you, to be able to share you with our listeners and for all of us to be able to watch you continue to rise up. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being here. Thank you, Kimmy. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And I really, I reached out to you through LinkedIn and I didn't expect you to get back to me and you did. And that really meant a lot. So thank you for this opportunity to, to share this with your audience. Oh my gosh. It's just such a joy, such a joy. That's what we are here to do is to share these stories, to bring value and lessons and all of the things to our listeners to help them become more invincible and so that they can rise up too. So to our listeners, I just want to say, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, rise up. Like Matthew says, rise up, just get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Matthew. <laughs> you can do it. Rise up, rise up. And they, the song says rise up from the ashes or the Phoenix from the ashes, but there has to be ashes, right? And that's the hard part, right? We have to burn something to be able to rise up anew. Oh my gosh. I love it. Rise up guys. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.